Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We'll explore the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learn what it means to pour out our hearts to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Claire Weaver and Lauren Morris. It's good to have both of y'all with us today, and I want you to tell us a little bit about how the two of you know one another. So Claire, can you do that for us? Okay, well, it's good to be here. I met Lauren when we first came to the church nine years ago, and I think you might have been pregnant with your second baby, but then didn't really connect very often after that, but think about four years ago, we both joined a book club and started reading the classics together. And just a sweet friendship has formed. And I have loved getting to know Lauren and hearing her perspective on the books we're reading, but then also just life. Well, I remember being very impressed by you and John, because I remember meeting you that day. And then I think the following Sunday, you said, Hey, Lauren. And I thought, this beautiful woman knows my name. And I just met her last week. And she's new. That is very impressive. Um, And yes, we did meet four years ago. And Claire has also been I have a few informal mentors. And I would say that Claire is one of them. Uh, I have approached her a handful of times, it seems like for some aid and help. And she has been a great encouragement to me. Well, that's encouraging to me too. Uh, Y'all just finished reading Don Quixote, right? We did. Right about that? We did. Yeah. Yeah, true friendship is built on books like that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And it was a uh, hysterical book. Yes. We really enjoyed it. Yes. That always has impressed me, y'all's classical book club. Mm -hmm. It is not light reading. Erin is part of our club as well. I do occasion the book club. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, she makes glittering appearances. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Why are they glittering? Because it just brightens our time and we have such a good time together. The thing about Erin, if you don't know this about Erin, is that she will be the last one to leave. So it might be glittering, but she will be there till the very end. Cleaning up the glitter. I will always be like, Erin, when did you leave? Um, I have no idea. It was like midnight maybe. I have no idea. But I'm always jealous of those last people that stay there. (laughs) It's a good time. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we're getting a little a little bit of our flavor up front here, which I love. All right, we're going to do our first things first question. And along with it, y'all are going to give a little bit more of a brief description of yourself. So I'm going to ask the question and you answer it and tell us a little bit more about yourself. So the first things first question is, what instrument did you learn to play first and do you still play it? Well, I'm Claire and I'm married to John and we have five daughters. Caroline is... A sophomore at Georgia Southern. Emily is a senior at Westminster. Perry Catherine is a freshman at Westminster. And then I homeschool Charlotte, sixth grade, and Mary Margaret, first grade. We've been at the church about nine years. And I am not very musically inclined. I do like to sing at home and in church. But the first instrument was probably the recorder in school. And uh, then I took piano for a year and I just did not keep it up. I wish I had. Um, But, you know, I sometimes feel like I could pick up the tambourine, you know, during a, (laughs) you know, really catchy song. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I probably can't add too much musically. That's fun. The recorder. What did do you remember? What song you played? Like Mary had a little lamb oh, or something like that. Yes, totally hot, hot cross, cross buns. buns. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we would all complain because we we're like, whose recorder did we get from last time? Oh, you know, no. did oh. you clean these? These oh, germs no. are still on those. Right. I'm Lauren Morris, and I'm married to Byron. We've been married for 15 years. We actually just got back from our 15-year anniversary trip mm-hmm. last week to Maine. And we have four children. Uh, our oldest is Emma. She's at Westminster, and she's in sixth grade. And then we have two boys in the middle, Byron and Amen, and I'm homeschooling them. And Camilla is three, and she just tries really hard to disrupt our day. That's her job. <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, I haven't, we've, Byron is a covenant child of the church, but we came back after getting married 13 years ago and we've been a part of the church since then. And I've been involved in a variety of ways at church, but this year I began teaching third grade Sunday school and I've really enjoyed it. So that's been my place, my hobby, my place to grow and develop. I've really enjoyed that. And outside from that, I really enjoy reading and uh, doing exercise, hanging out with friends, going on dates with Byron. That's me. Okay. And what about your first instrument? I remember my mom wanting us to learn to play the piano and the work just, just did not seem worth it for me to the point where Today, I look back and I have zero regrets of never <laughs> learning to play the piano. So it you was can't just, use that line. You'll regret it one day. Oh no. oh, no. I've heard it too much. And I say, no, not me. I do not regret not knowing how to play an instrument. That's so funny. You're such a math person. I feel like that's such a translatable skill. It's very mathematical. And I did not realize that until I went to college when I lived with all these engineers in the same floor and, I, and they were all in band. And mm. I thought, why are you all in band? You're all math geeks. And they're like, actually, <laughs> they go very well together. I did not realize that. Yeah. Maybe you should pick it back up. Give it another radio. Maybe it would be very quick for me to pick up. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. One way to find out. That's funny. Well, I definitely played piano from the time I was four. My brother went to school and I was like, well, I want to go to school. And I guess, I don't know, my, we didn't have a little preschool in our area or what, but my mom asked the little local piano teacher, or there was probably only one, and she's like, well, if she can read, she can come to piano. So I would go to the little piano class, and I played till you know, into my high school years. But it's something I don't pick up very often anymore. Um, it's just, uh, I guess I need to create some margin to do that. It is something I enjoy. Mm. Well, that's, you, we, you and I share another similar story. You're a small little town, yeah. me too, and I started playing the piano at the, about the time I was six. So and fun. actually, my piano teacher was from Japan. Oh, wow. But she lived across the street from me in my that. tiny little Indiana town. So go figure. Suzuki? Suzu- she did not teach me Suzuki. Mm. You would think she would. So I grew up knowing how to read music very well, but I didn't understand the theory behind it. And maybe I just was slow on theory. That's probably true. I, I won't necessarily blame her. But I remember loving to play, but I didn't love the theory. But I wished I would have loved the theory because when I got to high school, I got asked to play with our high school like, show choir band. And so they sit you down with this music and it's just a bunch of chords. And I'm playing <laughs> with someone who did very much understand theory. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, you know, you just translate it to the, I'm probably not even saying transpose, transpose it, it. Yeah, transpose it to the key of F or whatever. And I'm, I'm thinking, 
huh? Can yeah. you write it out for me? I don't know how to do that. The whole thing, yeah. Right. So she could just make stuff up as she went. And I'm like desperately trying to read these notes that it just doesn't go well with show it choir is music. two different skills. Yeah. It is very much two different skills. But I will say I do occasionally, we have a piano in our home, just a very basic piano. And I don't sit down to play very often. But when I do, I will play at night and I generally play hymns. And the boys, you know, my boys now are 17, 15, and 13, and they still love it if I will play some music in a hymn, love and I that. particularly do it around Christmas time. So they do love that, and oh, my husband will often a- ask me to do it, and I can still crank out enough to play a hymn. But you know what I, somebody reminded me of recently is just the connection, the important vehicle that music is that connects truth into our hearts. So a hymn is very much that. You have the theology, and yet it's written to music in a way that seeps into our hearts and causes us to worship in a way that maybe just the thoughts themselves aren't quite as equipped to do. And I thought, yeah, that's a good point, that music really leads us into something like worship. And so when we come to Psalm 33 today, we see that it's a psalm that's written for worship and intended to be used for corporate worship, to come into worship together and to say out loud together with music, testifying to the different wonders of who the Lord is. So Psalm 33, according to Kathleen Nielsen in her study, says that it can be outlined like this. Verses 1 through 3 is a call to worship. And then verses 4 through 19 are all the things about the Lord that we worship. And it ends in just a expression of hope. We see all of these things, we worship all these things, and we wait in hope for all of these things. If you haven't taken the time to read Psalm 33 yet, I suggest you hit the pause button and do that now, because reading through this will definitely deepen your appreciation of our conversation today. So the crux of Psalm 33 is worship. And in the very beginning, it starts out saying, shout, uh, make melody, sing to the Lord, play skillfully, shout loudly. And it attaches all these expressions to worship. And so when y'all think about that, what about those expressions come, which of those expressions come naturally to you? Uh, and which seems sometimes like, yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about worship that way before. Or that's not as natural to me. Well, I would have to say that sing to him would be what comes naturally just because that's what we do every week at church. Yeah. And I don't think I realized how much I liked or loved doing that until we came back from being apart from COVID, from even social distancing and mass, just the first Sunday we were back. I remember being in tears singing mm. and I thought about it ever since I've been thinking about it ever since like those emotions are not stirred up anymore because I take it for granted. But that first Sunday when we were all back together thinking, I really enjoy this music and I'm not a good singer. I'm not, I'm not musically inclined by any means, but I really enjoy just singing in worship and coming alongside my brothers and sisters. And a lot of time I don't even know what I'm singing, but here I am doing it shoulder to shoulder with my brothers and sisters and Uh, enjoying that vertical and horizontal component Mm -hmm. of worship by singing. Yeah. So do you think that's what prompted that emotion when you first got back into it is that idea that I'm here corporately doing this together? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, it never really sunk in before that. Mm. Before that, it's like, okay, here we are. 
and I just took it for granted. Yeah. And then when you don't have it for a year and a half and then you suddenly have it again, oh, this is what it sounds like. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. And I wonder what it is that, you know, it didn't necessarily prompt you to emotion just to be sitting around everybody or listening, mm -hmm. but something about that group participation and yeah. praise. Yeah. Mm. The area that I would like to maybe work in some more is, again, I'm not a musical person, but I thought melody. Um, I might be misquoting my mother-in-law, but I think I've heard her say that her husband, my father-in-law, will walk in the house oftentimes whistling hymns. Mm. And I think that's a very simple thing to do. Maybe not whistle, but hum. I can hum and make melody. So what I've been doing lately is I'll put my Pandora station on instrumental hymns and I'll just mm. be humming. And even this morning, my daughter was like, Mom, that's such and such hymns. So hmm. they recognize that that's what I'm humming. So mm -hmm. maybe incorporate that into our home a yeah. little more. Can you tell a difference in your state of mind or heart when you start humming or that melody comes to your mind? My mind goes from being everywhere huh. to the hymn, mm. even if I don't know the words. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love that those words like shout, sing, play skillfully, shout loudly, they really speak to our emotions and to letting them out, you know, an outward expression of them. And I love that in the second part of verse one, it says, praise befits the upright, that it's altogether right and fitting and appropriate that the people of God just be filled with praise. And I don't know that that is what naturally comes to mind. I think I'm more of a person that maybe zeroes in on what's wrong with the situation rather than what's right, what's good. And so it's a real encouragement to me to open up my mouth and speak the praiseworthy things that the Lord is doing. And I can't play an instrument, but what's so encouraging is that we don't have to have huge skill in this area, but we just get to do it. And um, because I have five girls, I have read the Little House on the Prairie series <laughs> over and over and over again. And Mary Margaret, our youngest, and I were about to finish up by the shores of Silver Lake. And every time I read through the series, I am just struck by how many songs and hymns Laura Ingalls Wilder knew by heart, and really how many songs Pa knew by heart, and that he could just pick up that fiddle and he would play and um, the family spirits would just be raised. And he would play hymns and they spend a lot of time alone. It's just their family and how they are just moved to worship and how encouraged they are, even in really tough situations. And so I just want to grow in that. I feel like we can really set the tone of our homes as mothers. And if we are just speaking praise, it's amazing how everyone around us in our home is affected. And um, I want to grow in praise just gushing mm. out of my mouth. You really can't have a complaining spirit at the same time that you're praising. Mm. I love point. that, Claire. I love how you framed it up around just giving a ringing cry. It's kind of, I was digging around on that word a little bit, shout. Abra and I were talking about 
earlier about how shout maybe feels a little, I don't know, I'm not going to say extreme, but maybe for you, but it feels extreme for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like as a mom Mm -hmm. who often tells my kids, you're being too loud. Don't shout. Don't shout. Mm -hmm. We're in the car. It's a very small room. So as someone that's telling them that it's too loud, like giving a ringing cry to me or rejoicing, it has a different flavor to it. And you're just saying the same goodness about the Lord over and over and over again, that it bears repeating that there is something good about praising the Lord. And you're right. It does lift our spirits at what you were saying about how um, just even having that hymn, it redirects your thoughts from being all over the place of to-do lists and chores and all those things into a posture of worship. It is so helpful. And I think that as I'm thinking about ways that I could grow in that, it's just, you know, these things that are in our lives aren't by mistake. And even just having a love for writing out is something that I often like to do, just write, returning that praise in a beautiful way, like in a poem or lyrics or whatever, is something that I've enjoyed in the past and just don't oftentimes make time to do that. And just sitting down at the piano, like you've encouraged me to make some time for that. So mm-hmm. thanks for the nudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've talked about expression of worship. Let's now talk about the God we are worshiping. In verse four through nine of the psalm, we see details about God's character and power. How is God's character and power infinitely different and greater than yours? And how does that lead us into worship? Well, as I look at these verses, obviously God is creator His word is so powerful that it caused the heavens to be made. And in verse four, it says, for the word of the Lord is upright. And since I'm a homeschool mom and I teach grammar, that's a subject verb linking predicate adjective. Wow. Say that faster. Applause, please. (laughs) (laughs) Or SVLPA. And so the way we teach our kids how to figure out if it's a subject, verb, linking, predicate, adjective, we say, could you put the word equals? So his word equals um, upright. And, you know, it's so humbling because when when are my words always upright? Um, Not often. Uh, But his word is always upright. And he's full of righteousness and he's full of justice. And looking at that character that everything he speaks into being is good and everything, his work is done in faithfulness. And that means that there's no room for anything wrong in it. That's so different than us as human beings. (laughs) Every word I speak, there could be something that someone could point to and say, oh, well, I wouldn't have said it that way, or maybe you left this out, but that he is just complete in every action and every word and praiseworthy in everything that he does. And that's that's really overwhelming to think about, but it brings such security and safety. So as I'm reading the word, as I'm trying to disciple my daughters and point them to the word, it's completely complete. It's completely upright. You can trust it. God's not leaving anything out. When I'm also thinking of God as creator and how through his word, he created all things, all heavens and all earth and the earth. Um, I think of something I tell my kids all the time, and that is that I am giving you a gift by teaching you to speak Spanish. I speak perfectly English and Spanish, and the kids do not like me to teach them Spanish. They fight me. 
And I'm always telling them, guys, I'm giving you a superpower. Mm -hmm. You're going to speak two languages. You will one day thank me for this. And and then I read the psalm, and it is through his word that he creates. It is through his word that he does everything. I really don't have a superpower. Mm. It really is humbling to realize that even though I have twice as many words as most people to communicate the same amount of stuff, it really only at the end of the day communicates. Oh, that's great. And that is humbling. And, mm -hmm. you know, as much as the language, Spanish language, the passing down of that language to my kids is important. And in a sense, it is a great trait to have. It only communicates at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Yeah, I, I love that distinction mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there is beauty, of course, in the words that we say. And it's beautiful that we're made in God's image to be creatures who speak with words um, because he is the one who created with words. But just to have that distinction, like I'm not creating something new, but I'm communicating what has been done. There's there's great dignity in that, mm -hmm. but to recognize the infinite superpower, oh, yeah. you know, the, um, mm -hmm. more superpoweredness, which I know is not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway, that the Lord has in his words. That's yes. great. And it almost seems, this is, next question is in the same vein, and it almost seems a little bit ridiculous to ask it, but I think it's important to ask because even though it's a little bit ridiculous to think of ourselves on par with the Lord in this next area, I think we do subconsciously, um, because verses 10 through 19, they speak about God's way of ruling the nations and the individuals and individuals. It's, you know, oftentimes we call this sovereignty, just that he has absolute power and control to rule as he will, um, all situations, all circumstances, all people. And of course, when you couple that with the goodness of the Lord expressed in this psalm, that's a comforting realization. But, you know, sometimes we possibly may think of ourselves as being the ones who are in control of our worlds or our people or ourselves. So what is it, as you read these Psalms, about the way that God rules nations and individuals? How does he do that differently than you? And what about his rule causes you to worship? Well, I think of the area that I rule, and that is in my home. I am a homemaker, a full-time homemaker, and now homeschooling mom. And uh, I like to pride myself that I do it really well. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I have a very nice agenda on my counter, and my phone calendar's in sync with my husband's, and I keep everybody's schedule and all the carpools that are going to happen. And, um, and yeah, I feel like that is my full-time job, and I'm very thankful for the job. I'm very thankful that I've been given the ability to do it. But at the end of the day, it is... Ultimately, for what purpose? It is for my life to be easy, mm. to just be comfortable, I guess. I don't know. But then I read um, Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Ultimately, if the favor of the Lord is not on me, it is all in vain. And there's no reason why I should. Actually, I... I'm, if I were to be honest, I, I struggle with this part because part of me feels like there's a bit of prosperity in this psalm. And so does that mean, Lord, that if I fear you, therefore you will show me favor? I know you show kindness to those who don't believe you. So if I were to be honest, I, w I do struggle there, but I also hand in hand do think that if I do not 
bow down to him and fear him. He will not show me favor. Is that okay for me to say? I don't know. I'm I'm all over the place with yeah. that question. Well, I mean, I think that's a, a, a legitimate question that comes up. And when you think that the, the expression, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, you could think of it as like, you know, the gray eye in Lord of the Rings and he sees mm-hmm. everything and he's sort of this freaky eye up here that is constantly watching, constantly looking. And when his eye is on you, you're afraid. I mean, you hide, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be the misinterpretation. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. But the idea that the eye of the Lord, that tender eye, that gaze is on those who fear, but fear being reverent awe, right? I mean, that's how the Bible uses that expression of those who turn to the Lord in worship. It's a fear that's a reverent awe. And so I do think that there's a particular way, yes, that the Lord looks on his people. I mean, he looks on generally everyone um, with that same goodness that's innate to him. But that particular tender eye, watchful eye on those who fear him is, is expressed in a, in, a, in a special way. But of course, we don't get that reverent awe just by our own working that in ourselves. It's the Lord's coming to us, revealing himself to us, showing us who he is in his son, displaying all these characteristics as summed up there that cause that reverent awe. So it's not really works-based, but I, I hear you. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. it, it does. I do struggle with it. I think it's both an and for me. Mm-hmm. And just I do this out of faithfulness. I fear you. I want to be faithful with what you've been what, with what you've given me. Um, but I also know that it's not A plus B equals C. Yeah. So I, there's a bit of a tension when answering that question. Mm-hmm. But um, he is so much better than me. And without his favor, it is all in vain. And I cannot do it in mm-hmm. my own strength. Well, maybe it points to the fact that, I mean, we're talking about what's the difference between our way of ruling and the Lord's way of ruling. And, you know, you're given that description of your well-ordered world and getting everything Mm -hmm. to, you know, line up accordingly in a particular way. And if you do that, then you get said result. We want to rule our lives and our worlds in order to guarantee us something that we really can't guarantee ourselves. But the Lord absolutely can guarantee Mm -hmm. everything he does, and he rules graciously out of that. God's way of ruling is so different than the way we rule and often the way I'm trying to control things. I mean, I echo what you say. Lauren is trying to make things organized for my family, help them to flourish, things to go well, or just to further my agenda. I have things I want to get done and it isn't always with the eternal perspective, but I love verse 10 that highlights that God brings the counsel of the nations to nothing and frustrates the plans of the peoples, but his plans and counsel stand and endure, as do those people and nations that are in right relationship with him. And to go back to Psalm 16 that said, I have no good apart from you. So this idea of flourishing is in direct contact and linked up with with relationship with God. And because he is God and he is infinitely good and beautiful, it is altogether right that he triumph. It mm. is altogether right that his plans supersede mine and go over all of the nations because when his plans go forward— his people are going to flourish. And so keeping in mind, as I am frantically trying to control things and they're just falling through my fingers and it's not going well, to 
remember that God has the long game and that he is accomplishing my salvation. He is accomplishing all of his people's salvation and his good, beautiful, wonderful plans are going forth and that his control and frustrating of the nations isn't capricious. It is so good and it is so loving. I just can't always see how it always works out. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's not how I'm trying to control things. Yeah. Well, differentiating what you said right there, that you know that everything that he wills is good. And we tend to think that everything we will is good or we wouldn't will it. <laughs> but often, how often you know, have you enforced something in your own life or in the life of your child or your husband or whatever and realized, ooh, that was not good? Well, Proverbs, I'm going through Proverbs with my two little girls, and we were just reading the one that says, all a man's ways seem right in his own eyes, yeah. mm-hmm. but the Lord weighs the heart. And often I'm like a bullet train just you know, going forward thinking, I know what's right. Yeah. But the Lord weighs it. Um, When I read this question, I thought of uh, Vanessa because she often would tell me um, when we, when something like Casey's testimony or something like that, we were texting back and forth and it's just like, who is like the Lord? Like who rules like him? Who is providentially good and has that global view like you're talking about Claire that can see all things and is working all things together for good that's the faith that we confess and we just and our finiteness cannot do that and I think even just the verse 19 how he delivers our souls from death and I think obviously that has that um physical death and view of how Christ has delivered us from death, but even just the spiritual death that he's delivered us from that death. And like, we just don't, I mean, there's nothing we can do in our own power to um, conjure up that kind of goodness and relief. And that of course, rightfully leads us to worship of an all powerful, sovereign and good God. Aaron, I appreciate you bringing up your interaction with Vanessa, and if you're not familiar with with who Vanessa is, she was our women's director here at First Presbyterian Church. We much loved, still loved, and is now up in New York City. And you're talking about Casey's testimony, Casey Larson. She's been on the podcast um, several podcasts ago, and she talked about uh, her struggle with terminal cancer. And it was just this past week that she... Um, was able to share her testimony at church and Sunday evening service of just how the Lord had miraculously healed that part of that cancer that was terminal. There's still cancer, right? But really it was just imminent how, I mean, that hurt. She woke up every day thinking it, it may be my last day and the Lord has done something that the doctors really can't explain. And so when you're saying that text back and forth is who is like the Lord, not us. The answer to mm-hmm. that is yes. not us. Yes. And how wonderful to celebrate that beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. All right. So when we look at Kathleen's study, she always invites us to consider Christ in relationship to the psalm that we're studying. So how does Psalm 33 deepen your worship of our glorious and redeeming God? Well, I really appreciated the Hebrews passage that we read in conjunction with Psalm 33, and that Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father's nature. Jesus is creator, and verse 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. And just thinking that Jesus is the one that we wait for. He is the good that we ultimately wait for, and that in his 
beautiful life on earth, we see every word is upright and all his work done in faithfulness. So it just points me back to the gospel narratives of every word Jesus uttered was the perfect life-giving word. Every work that he did was full of faithfulness, full of his steadfast love. I love at the end of the book of John where he says, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, I expect that it would fill, you know, all the books on in the earth. And I just, I love that affectionate way of talking about how Jesus lived his life. And so he is our deliverance and salvation. And I am moved to repent of trying to worship and bow down to anything other than him. And it's just this daily thing of realizing, oh, I have been bowing and groveling at these other idols. And as I read this psalm, it makes me want to draw near to Jesus. Isn't that the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that when you realize that you're worshiping the wrong thing, that you've been sacrificing to the wrong thing, you don't get shunned. Mm -hmm. He says, come, come near. And um, you don't get poured shame on. You just get brought near to the Father's heart. And I, I just love how the psalm said, he who fashions each heart, his eye is on us. So it says that he knows us so completely and fully. And then he didn't just make us and leave us. He's watching. And mm-hmm. so I'm just moved to to tears and to worship through that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, thinking of John, the book of John, isn't it there where he talks about Jesus is the word made flesh. Mm-hmm. And you read the psalm and it says, uh, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and how waters in the Bible represent chaos mm-hmm. and how it is through Jesus that these waters are contained. And I, if I think of my life over the past few months, um, my mother became a widow. My mother lives across the border. I cannot mm-hmm. go to her easily. And my grandmother passes away two weeks later. And uh, we choose to leave the school. We we have loved for the past years, past six years. And I'm homeschooling my boys and just so much chaos. Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. the Lord brings the chaos, brings mm-hmm. the water into a heap and he holds it together. Mm-hmm. What a comfort mm-hmm. that is. Well, you're, you're both expressing how personal of a touch that is because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And mm-hmm. so all the attributes that are expressed in this psalm that maybe you almost think that you see from a distance, they're glorious, they're grand, that, the, that they have come near to us in the person of Jesus. And I think when I think about worship as the Lord designed it, And we see it in the Old Testament with the temple and the sacrifices and all of the representations that were there that were pointing to the fulfillment of those in Christ. I think of the Holy of Holies. And so as they got closer and closer Mm -hmm. in worship, yet they could not enter that most holy place where the Spirit of Mm -hmm. God abided. But with Jesus, that passage you mentioned in Hebrews is 1, 1 through 4. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God in majesty. And that work, that finished, completed work that Christ did, sat down, accomplished, tore open that barrier 
and allowed us right straight in to the presence of God. So when we think about the depth of our worship, really what we're able to experience and to enjoy with no boundaries is because of Christ's work for us. Love that. Lauren and Claire, what a beautiful and worshipful time together today. Thank you for talking with Amber and me. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. Take us to the gym when you're getting your miles in or when you're shuttling the kids around town. We will be sitting down to talk with Anna Norton and Hope Grinnell to talk about Psalm 37 and what it is we are to remember when the wicked prosper. We'll hope you listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again A season of clear shining To cheer it after the rain 